Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Before we dive into Leviticus, the pulpit series, starting with the overview after Chinese New Year, we, we felt it was important for these four sermons because these are meant to be foundational building blocks for us to understand and apply Leviticus better. Because we know in covenant that it's not truth that changes lives, right? It is truth applied. And what we want to do in, in Leviticus especially because that we want to apply truth correctly because there'll be some laws that you will see in Leviticus that makes no complete sense. For example, you can't wear clothes with two materials woven together. So for those who wear cotton plus spandex socks, uh, fail already. Okay? So it doesn't make sense to us. In Sue's family, for example, the children are not allowed to eat in the living room. And we can understand why, because children are more prone to spill milk and orange juice and then they leave crumbs on the sofa and then the ants and the cockroaches come. We, we can appreciate that. But for an adult, single adult, living by himself or herself, it doesn't make sense at all. Nor is it necessary. You get the idea now? So hopefully these four uh, building blocks helps us get into the context and backdrop of Leviticus so that when we come to Leviticus, hopefully it makes a bit more sense to us. Okay, you follow? Alright, what are the four building blocks as foundations? Therefore, number one, law. Number two, covenant. Number three, tabernacle. Number four, exodus. Okay, law, covenant, tabernacle, exodus. Now, we'll unpack them one at a time and move along until we start the series. So, firstly, the law. Some of us may have seen a movie directed by Jack New years ago called Just Follow Law. And one of the characters in the movie, his name is Mutu. He's a security guard in, in a uh, workplace building. And he was tasked to ensure that the two new VIP parking lots can be used by nobody else except VIPs. He must ensure it's his job. And so he would patrol around the, the parking lot, shoo people away if they walk past it or if they park there. Until one day, there was a fire in the building and the fire engine came. And so the fire engine saw the two empty lots parked there and very quickly tried to roll out their water hose to, to try to put out the fire. And Mutu ran to them and said, Hey, who told you you can park here? You cannot park here. You got black and white and not, etc., etc. And obviously the fireman can't entertain his uh, request, right? So they had to go fight the fire. And when they came back after the fire was put out, they went to their fire engine. Their jaws dropped because their fire engine got clamped. In our modern life today, rules will be something we are familiar with. Be it for children in school or at home, be it even those of us who are working, there are certain industry code of ethics we abide by. As citizens and people of this land, there are certain governance or certain statutes that we will be familiar with that govern how we live among one another. Now, for the people of Israel, they had rules as well. In fact, if you go to Leviticus, which is part of the first five books of the Old Testament from Genesis to Deuteronomy, it's a genre called the law. And in Leviticus itself, you will keep seeing this, this phrase repeating. This is the law of, this is the law of, this is the law of, this is the law of. 
So this is the law concerning offerings. This is the law concerning childbirth or postnatal requirements. This is the law regarding leprosy and skin diseases while you are moving about in the camp, etc. and etc. All these are basically rules to help Israel live as God's people. And in fact, in the 27 chapters of Leviticus, only four chapters plus maybe seven verses are in the story form. Story form. The rest are all rules like that. From God to Moses or from God to Aaron. Now, for some of us, we might be thinking, uh, but Pastor Edmund, aren't we New Testament Christians under grace? The Apostle Paul said we are not under law but under grace, correct? How do we make sense of this? Now, ask a question. When was the laws given to Israel? Was it given before they got rescued out of Egypt or after? Before or after? After. In other words, here was God by His grace and sure mercy pulling them out of Egypt by miracle after miracle. After that, then the law came, which is a paradigm for us in the Christian life because even in the letters of the Apostle Paul, we are saved by grace through faith, right? But in Paul's letters are instructions after instructions and exhortations to the New Testament church how they are bent to live. Does that follow? And so for the people of Israel, as they were given laws like that, why is the law therefore still necessary for us, modern-day Christians? Why is it still necessary? Now, because of time, I will just mention and elaborate two very key reasons found in Leviticus itself. The first is this. The law is still necessary because it reveals who God is to our world. It reveals who God is to our world. According to Bible scholars and teachers, uh, the book of Leviticus and all the laws in there can be generally grouped into three types of laws. Three types of laws. There is the ceremonial or, or the ritual laws, there is the civil laws, and then there are the moral laws. Okay, ceremonial, civil, and moral. Ceremonial laws have to do with how they approach God in worship, the slaying of their sacrifices, what God regards as clean or unclean. Those are the ceremonial laws. Civil laws have to do with how they relate to one another as a nation as they move along in the desert. And then the moral laws are basically ethical requirements that God approves and disapproves as God's holy people. Let's ask the question again. Do we keep the ceremonial law today, yes or no? No, thank God. Because if we do, this front space will literally be a very bloody mess. Yeah, I don't know whether exciting or not, but confirm very bloody. Okay? And pastors confirm burnout because we have to keep offering sacrifices. So thankfully, we don't have to. And, and if we do, what is food regarded as unclean? Cha siu pao, black pepper crab, cereal prawn, no more. Some of us, I know, withdraw symptoms really. Okay? Thankfully, we don't keep the ceremonial law. What about the civil laws? how they relate to one another. Now, from what I can glean, we affirm the principle behind them, but we have to adjust the practice. Affirm the principle, adjust the practice. Because if not, for example, one of the laws says that if any child curses his father or mother, what's the outcome or the penalty? You must be stoned to death. Now, we affirm the principle of honour your parents or honour the elders, but if we keep to the practice, there'll be quite a few children cremated already. 
Okay, civil. Now, when it comes to the moral law, from what we glean, keep to even the precept because these are ethics involved. You shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery and so on. Now, the contention and controversy in modern-day interpretation is how do we decipher, sometimes it can be a bit controversial, which is civil, which is moral and so on. Hopefully, hopefully, we can address a bit of that down the road. But for now, regardless of what types of laws we group them, notice the purpose behind them. Purpose behind them. Now, I'm going to invite us to read together Scripture on screen and follow along because I'll make a few cross-references. Here's the first. Leviticus 22, verse 31. Together, so you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord, and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So you notice the purpose behind keeping the laws now? that I may be sanctified or made holy. If God is already holy, how do God's people make Him holy? By the way we live. Because by the way we live, God is seen and regarded as holy, not just by us, but by people who watch our lives. Made holy. And holiness is the key characteristics that we will see of God in Leviticus. In fact, you will have heard this from our SPs last Sunday. The idea of the holy nature of God is, is so out of this world. It is the only mention or the characteristic of God that's mentioned in the superlative, meaning it's off the charts. So it is only the holiness of God you see in the Bible, in Isaiah or Revelation, when God is encountered, that the angels cry, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. No other characteristic we see in the Bible, loving, 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 patient, 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 merciful, merciful, merciful. We don't see that, not because God isn't, but the whole idea behind this therefore now is that when it comes to the nature of God, holiness is the stem by which every nature of God branches out. Holiness is the stem by which every nature or characteristic of God branches out. But the question therefore is, what exactly is holiness? Scholars, Bible teachers have written books about this, so I, I risk oversimplifying. But if I could choose one word that could describe and capture in essence the holiness of God, I would use the word uniqueness. Meaning, God is so distinct, so out of this world, so one of a kind, no one comes close. That's why when the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, when they sang the song of their deliverance and victory, notice how they describe God. On the screen together, if you can read this. One, two, three. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. And so as they tasted firsthand the mighty power of God, they declared, who is like 
like you. There is no one like you. Because there were many gods in Egypt and the Egyptians had depended on them for their life. For, on the sun god to give them sunshine and energy and, and life source. On the river now, which is the, the, their water source. But when the plagues came, the entire land was darkened. The sun god was defeated. The river now turned red. The river god was defeated. It was God's way of saying, I'm a god like no other. And the Egyptian pharaoh had to taste and experience it firsthand the bad way when his son died because the Egyptian pharaoh himself was regarded like God but he couldn't even save his own son so here was God demonstrating himself to be unlike any gods you have seen totally unique and out of this world C.S. Lewis has this to say about the holiness of God how little people know who think that holiness is dull. It's just about do's and don'ts and we are being straight-jacketed. When one meets the real thing, in other words, when one meets the real thing that reflects the nature of God, it is irresistible. Not just to ourselves, but to the rest of the world who watch our lives. We live in a world today where we want to look good, on the outside to other people or even want to get the accolades, be it by the kind of clothes we wear, the kind of hairstyle or, or makeup, the kind of cars we drive, the kind of accomplishments we have. We want to stand out. That itself is not wrong. But I begin to realize with what is true of myself and maybe true for some of us is that we do this because of a low sense of self-worth. And we need all these things to prop ourselves up. Whereas for Israel, why they want to be holy, God already tells them, you are a treasured possession, precious to me. And therefore, the goal of holiness is not they get the accolades, oh, they look so holy. It's so that God gets the accolades among them and in their world. So my question is to us, why do we do what we do as Christians? Why do we do Bible reading or praying or sharing the gospel, serving and the whole works? Why? We do this not so that we feel more spiritual about ourselves. We do this so that God gets the accolades. In my earlier years as a Christian, I thought, I thought, that when I become more mature in, as a Christian or more spiritual, I should feel better about myself. In fact, I felt worse. And I prided myself in this. I don't say it because good Christian, ma, okay? but this is how I felt. That when I am more spiritual, that other people can see, oh, Emma Wong so spiritual. By reading the Bible more, by praying longer hours, so on and so forth. But it came to a point in my journey where there were besetting sins I couldn't overcome. When there were multiple griefs I couldn't heal myself from, and I was down in the dumps, and I realized the grace of God needs to come and change me. For some of us, you may identify with this. And for some of us, perhaps you feel that I, I, can, I can just do enough so that I'm above average. But the goal of holiness, the goal of following Jesus in all these religious practices is not that we get the accolades, we ease our own conscience, but so that God gets the accolade. The other flip side is dangerous. Now, this is what Steve Gallagher says, 
and far be it from us that instead of asking how I can rid myself of the poisonous influences of the world, we are asking how much of the world I can have and still be a Christian. We are asking how much of the world I can still have and still remain Christian. Last month, I was at the Mandarin service in the afternoon and I had the chance to hear testimonies for those who are getting baptized and one of them was Mr. Chia. His daughter, Lin, and her son-in-law, Jinjie, is among us in the BBJ congregation and serves together with us. And he shared how, before he was a Christian, he would gamble. He had a bad temper. And all that started to change when he believed in Jesus. And after his testimony was over, we all clapped and cheered to the glory of God. That here was a man God was forming to become more like him. All of us are on a journey, no matter whether we are a few steps ahead of others or we are a few steps behind. But all of us are on the journey together. And I trust that we have heard our senior pastors call already to holiness this year so that in so doing, we reproduce after the Jesus kind for the sake of shining before a fallen, broken, and dark world. Now, in time to come, there'll be Freedom in Christ course in February. We'd have heard about that already. But what's going to happen in January is that in our CG time, we're going to take time reflecting. Reflecting on the 21 questions that we've already seen since Holy Assembly, 1st January. We're going to take time to move in tandem with the January series by having some CG time sharing and talking about it together. But what we don't want to do is simply go through the motions, is simply to treat this as a discussion. What we desire is for it to be a time of soul searching. So my honest and loving question to all of us is this, and if you're not prepared to answer it today, that's fine. Will you give permission to your leaders to speak into your life? Will you give permission to your leaders to speak into your life? Yesterday, after Leaders Connect, which is an annual gathering for leaders in our church, one of the lay leaders texted me to say, Pastor, I give you permission to check on me anytime. Anytime. I'm asking that because sometimes as, we, as iron sharpens one another in, in our CG life, we may notice some things, some attitudes, some words, some behaviours we feel misrepresents Jesus. And therefore, for the sake not just of our own soul, but for the sake of God's name, will you give permission to your leaders to speak into it, to call it out if need be, not to condemn, but in order to come to a place of conviction and cleansing, in order that we are consecrated together as God's holy people. Now, if you feel ready already, that's great. And you can text your leader now. I give us permission to text while I'm talking. Okay? But for those of us who don't feel ready to answer this question, I hope you can come to a conclusion within the next two weeks so that God willing, we have a fresh start in the brand new year. Why the law is still necessary? Because it reveals who God is to our world so that we don't get the accolades, but God does by the way we live. Secondly, the law is still necessary because it reveals what God has done for the world. It reveals what God has done for the world. Those of us familiar with Leviticus would know that the first seven chapters are basically the laws on sacrifices and offerings, right? There is the burnt offering, fellowship offering, peace offering, guilt offering, grain offering, sin offering. And 
not only are people offering this either on their free will as an act of worship or when they sin, here was God's instruction to Moses before Leviticus as instructions to the priests. In Exodus 29 verse 28, if you can read this with me on the screen together, now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight or evening. So this was instruction to the priest through Moses, every day without fail, twice a day, you offer sacrifices and burn them. That's the baseline. Beyond the baseline in Leviticus are all your other offerings that the people come out of their free will or because when they sin. So can you imagine now, there is non-stop burning on the altar of animals. They are slayed. They are killed. How many of us here by show of hands, uh, you have burnt food before at home, either on the stove or in the microwave? Can, can I see your hand? We, we, we won't judge you, okay? No. <laughs> I, I cannot before in the microwave. Do you remember the smell? Do you remember the smell lingering? And if you have laundry hanging in the kitchen, God bless you. For the people of Israel, sacrifice after sacrifice 24-7, can you imagine the smell in the air? And it's not as nice as our barbecue chicken wing, no? Because they burn not just the animal meat, they burn entrails, intestines, the full works, basically. It's in the air. They hear the sounds of animals howling when they are slit. They see the sight of the burning, the sight of blood. 24-7. In other words, it's the sight and smell and sounds of death they cannot escape from. And this was a picture that God gave to them as the people of God, what it took for them to approach God and not die because something or someone else has died in your place. Now, here's the refrain that we will see in the offerings in Leviticus. Number one, this is a food offering, a fragrant aroma or pleasing aroma to the Lord. The second, when it comes to the sin offerings, that the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin and he shall be forgiven. It will keep repeating. But lest we think that the Israelites earn their forgiveness and approval by all these sacrifices. Here's what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews tells us, if we can read this together on the screen, together, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They will simply remind us because the bloods of lower life forms cannot remove the sin of those God has made in His image. It is simply a reminder that someone else must come who is sinless. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, the law therefore serves as a guardian, as a foreshadow to point us to its fulfillment in Jesus where we are justified by faith. So that when Jesus appeared on the scene, here was what John the Baptist declared about Jesus in John chapter 1. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Israel. No, right? The sins of the world. So through all these sacrifices, God was giving pictures of salvation, signposts of that salvation, not just for Israel themselves, 
but for the entire world that Israel was called to witness. Pictures of salvation. The second thing in the law that God puts in place are principles for social justice. Social justice. In the ancient era, in those societies, people were not treated as people. They were treated as possessions and property. So, for example, if a slave was caught stealing, the penalty is execution and death. And in those days, women were treated as second-class oppressed. But what God did in instituting these laws was to elevate the value and worth of women because they were made in God's image. So, for example, if a man chooses to marry a second wife which broke the blueprint of marriage, at least what happened was that God ensured that the rights of the first wife was protected and provided for. And He called Israel to remember those who are fatherless, the orphans and the widows, to provide for them, the poor and needy. And when you glean your harvest, Remember the poor, those who don't have the means to support themselves. Principles of social justice God put in place to remember society. But here's the question why. Why did God do that? Not simply because of social justice sake. Final passage with me now, Leviticus 19. Together. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. You shall treat the stranger and sojourner with you as native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, social justice wasn't an end in itself to better society. The love that I have displayed to you by rescuing you out of Egypt, the love I have shown you by providing a way for you to be forgiven through all these sacrifices, is the same love I want you to display, not just to one another in Israel, but to the entire world, even the stranger and the sojourner. Social justice was enforced in Israel so that salvation may be extended to the world. Social justice was enforced in Israel so that Salvation may be extended to the world. Four years ago, Saw and Light magazine interviewed Pastor Ken Witzmer, who is the founder of the Justice Conference, and he is an expert on social justice. And he was asked, what do you think is missing in the church's conversation about social justice to better society, especially helping the, the poor and marginalized and, and, and all? And this was his answer. He said that, ironically, I think theology is missing in the social justice conversation. Surprise! Social justice without theology or the work of Christ on the cross can become an endeavor separated from its framework and source of energy. A cut flower, if you will. Our knowledge of injustice today is so vast that it can sometimes absorb or overwhelm us, but our discipleship and our biblical theology are necessary for sustaining our justice efforts. Did you catch that? At the heart of social justice is actually the gospel. You remove that, it becomes a cut flower without life. Social justice becomes short-circuited. In other words, I, I know some of us here, you feel strongly for the poor and marginalised, for those who are needy and need help. By all means, serve and minister and help. 
But let's introduce Jesus somewhere in our conversations, in our work and help of them, because the end of social justice is to extend salvation. Some years back, I got a phone call out of the blue from a migrant worker. He's become a friend because we meet up over public holidays. He's been coming for our migrant Christmas outreaches. And he called me because he was panicking and he was in despair. What happened was that he was going to change company. He was moving dorms. After work, he came back to his dorm and found it ransacked. Things all over the place. And apparently, his employer came to do things in his dorm that he shouldn't be doing. And in that despair and panic, he didn't know what to do. And for some reason, he thought of me. And so called me and asked for help. Now, because I I needed to explain to him, uh, besides calming him down, that there are certain employee terms and employee rights we have in our labor laws, but I didn't know Tamil. So I basically had to call Ramu, who's our Tamil ministry worker brother, to say, Ramu, can you please help this brother? And Ramu was very kind to go to his dorm, calm him down, buy him a good meal. Can't remember whether it's Brani or Prata now. But buy him a good meal, settle him, and then explain to his terms, and then got him settled into his new dorm. Now, this migrant brother knows that I am Christian, he knows that Ramu is Christian. He has come to our migrant outreaches before. He has not come to Christ yet. But I am asking, I'm believing God that one day, God will open his heart to do so. By all means, help. By all means, serve and minister. But somehow along the way, we have to include Jesus in the conversation, include Jesus in the picture. Because social justice is enforced so that salvation can be extended. The law is necessary because it reveals who God is to the world so that by the way we live, it is not us getting the accolades, but God. It reveals what God has done for the world so that as we enforce that social justice, salvation can be extended. Now let me close with this final story before we respond to God together. Brandon Manning's told of a mayor in the Great Depression in the United States during the financially very dark times for the nation. And one night he decided to go into the night court session and preside over the court himself and relieve the court judge. And in came an old lady wearing torn and tattered clothes and she was charged for stealing a loaf of bread. And the grocery shop owner was there who so-called was advocating and appealing to the judge, in this case the mayor, to please charge her and punish her because it's a bad neighbourhood and she needs to pay the penalty so that it's a lesson to everybody. The mayor heaved a sigh and said that the law is the law, it makes no exceptions and therefore this lady is charged and also punished either $100 as a fine or $10 in jail. But after he made that statement, he took out a $100 bill from his pocket, put it into his hat, and basically said that, number one, I pay the penalty, but number two, I now fine everybody in the court 50 cents for allowing our society to be a place where people have to steal in order to get bread. Because this poor elderly lady, she claimed that her daughter was sick, the the daughter's husband had run away or left the family and then the two children were starving. And the newspaper reported this after the incident, that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren 
50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner himself, while 70 other petty criminals, people with traffic violations and policemen, each of whom had just paid also 50 cents, all gave the mayor a standing ovation. One day at the end of time, when we gather around the throne, there will be a standing ovation to Jesus. Because here is this God who saw that the world has become a bad neighbourhood and decided to pay the penalty and the fine himself, not by money or jail term, but by going to the cross and losing his life. But the good news is that's not the end of the story. After his resurrection to demonstrate that death has been conquered, sin has been defeated, he tells the church now, represent me well. Represent me well even if that implies exercising social justice so that one day all of us will surround that throne regardless of our social economic status and worship the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to invite us to join me now to bow our heads in prayer before God. And before we sing this song as our act of declaring and affirming who God is as holy and there's no one like Him, I want to give us a few unhurried moments now to pause. Perhaps there's one thing God has placed upon your heart very deeply, very personally. It could be to give leaders permission to speak into your life. For others, minister to the poor and needy. But along the way, introduce Jesus. But whatever that may be, I want to give us some time now to turn that over to prayer before I lead us in prayer. two groups of us to respond to God and the first is spiritual family my friends we are on a journey of holiness regardless of how ahead or how behind we are but God takes us where we are because God loves us where we are and yet loves us too much to let us remain where we are and as we hear the call of holiness this season and if your heart is saying to God Lord change me and change me completely so that I represent you better I represent you well before my friends my family my neighbours my workplace I give you the rain to search my heart this season and reveal to me what is inside so dear friend if that's you we're going to begin not by FICC or Freedom in Christ in February we're going to begin now through our CG time 
through all that we will talk about in the family. And for now, if that's your desire, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to represent us to pray this. And if that's your prayer, your desire, you say, Pastor Edmund, I resonate and I join that prayer as my own. I'm going to invite you to raise up your hand after that. I'm going to acknowledge and we're going to just once more bring ourselves before God. Now here's how this prayer goes. Father God, holiness is all about you. For you are the thrice holy God to whom none can compare. You desire to be made holy through me. You desire for the world to see there is no one like you. Therefore, reveal and root out whatever in me, whatever that misrepresents you. I give you full reign to change my perspectives, my attitudes, my words, my behaviors completely until you get all the accolades through me. Church family, if that's you, I'm going to invite you just to put up your hand up high to the Lord to say, God, that's my prayer. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to grow me, to become more like Jesus. That's right. You just go put up your hand up high for a moment. Father God, we see all these hands raised and those of us at their old floor, I'm going to invite you to do so as well. Father God, you see all these hands raised now to you. Lord, each of us are sinners saved by grace. But your word declares us as saints. Saints of the Most High God standing on the finished work and righteousness of Jesus. Lord, we ask, help us represent you well in our world. Help us reveal Jesus more and more. Be pleased by your Holy Spirit to shine your light into our very hearts to reveal what's inside, not to condemn but to, Lord, convict, to cleanse, to consecrate us as a people. Come by your Spirit gently. Come firmly. Come with conviction in our hearts. For your Word, Lord, is a double-edged sword that judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. So please do so, Lord, for the sake of your name. Thank you when we put our hands down. As we continue in prayer now, I want to invite a second group to respond. You have come into this worship service not as a Christian, Someone invited you or you came yourself, but you, you hear that there is a Jesus who is the Lamb of God, sacrificed for our sins. And you want to make that real for yourself. And for the very first time, you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour for your life. I'm going to likewise pray a prayer now, if that's you. And if that's your prayer, likewise be here in the main uh, sanctuary or in the overflow area. If for the very first time you are receiving Jesus into your life, I'm going to invite you to put up your hand up high after that prayer. I want to acknowledge you and pray with you. Now here's how that prayer goes. Lord Jesus, you came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, even my sins. I confess today I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Nothing I do can earn it. Thank you God earned it for me through the cross. I ask you now to come into my life Cleanse me from sin. Change me from the inside out so that you get the accolades for the world to see.
So dear friend, if that's you, for the very first time asking Jesus into your life, can I invite you just to put up your hand up high for a brief moment. I want to acknowledge you, pray with you, before we respond together with this song. Be here in the main sanctuary overflow. If you can just put up your hand up high for a moment. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that every time the scriptures are open, you summon us. Yes, the Lord sees your hand. Anybody else? Just give it up for a moment. Every time you open the scriptures, the Lord, Lord, you summon us and we ask by your spirit now. Quicken and Lord, enable the word that's planted in our friends here if they have yet to know Jesus. The great, grand joy and adventure of being your child and your servant one day. We give you thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we say together, Amen. Can we have that please? Let's stand together and let's join this song to make this declaration that God, our God, holy, and there is no other like Him. some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at 
www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.